Woohoo! Welcome to the Some Work All Play podcast. We are so happy to be with you today. And this is episode 27. I love how formal we've gotten with announcing the number of the episode. I know. We're, I'm going to go back at some point and actually put in the numbers for each one. But I keep procrastinating it. I don't know why. It's like such a small task, but I just can't do it. Let's drink some wine and do it tonight. I know. We need I'm to make calling a... our shot. We're going to do it tonight. <laughs> we also need to make our next playlist, too. Oh, yes. Oh, we for sure need to do that. Yeah. For those that haven't listened to all the episodes, on Spotify, look up the Some Work All Play playlist and the Swap Swag Sauce playlist. Those are kind of our crowning jewels of, of achievement. So I think you'll enjoy it. Well, in our Spotify Unwrapped, those were the, the key songs highlighted. Yeah, so yeah. We spent a lot of time, like both of us together, listening to it. And but it was funny to see those highlighted as, as our most listened <laughs> The Summer All playlist is going to be coming out soon. So 27, that's the Vladimir Guerrero episode. So for those that don't know, Vladimir Guerrero is a baseball hall of famer. I had his little figurine when I was a kid, so he's near and dear to my heart. But what Vlad the Impaler is famous for is swinging at any pitch, any time, not caring at all about the strike zone. One time he hit a ball off the ground over the fence. Um, and he has a lot of great quotes, but my favorite is when asked about his theory of hitting, what I do is see the ball hit the ball. I freaking love this guy. So I didn't know about Vlad until we were doing like research for this podcast and I had to spend a full like 10 minutes with <laughs> him. But I would say that approach to sports is the exact opposite of my approach to sports. Like as a field hockey player, I thought so much about the game to the point where it was extremely limiting for me in college. I So in college, I remember we had dry seasons in the fall in terms of like not being able to drink because that was our main sports season. And then in the spring, <laughs> we were allowed to do whatever we wanted. And, and then in spring, your main sport was drinking. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> no, maybe. just joking. Just at times. But we had we had like more chill practices, more chill yeah. scrimmages in the spring. But I played my best field hockey when I was hungover. And I think it was because <laughs> it, it like it removed the thinking element of it for me. Like I just thought way too much as a player. And I got away with that in high school because the game was slower. But then at college, at the Olympic development levels, like it just really hit me. Well, it kind of reminds me, I think in like archery and biathlon, drinking is considered a performance enhancing drug in some is way. It really? That I'm is not, my sport. I think it's banned <laughs> because it like slows down. I'm not sure. Don't quote me on that. Um, but I totally identify with that too, because like when I was playing baseball and, and you know, uh, at, at, I totally struggled if thinking about hitting while I was hitting in a split second decision. And it's like, that's not good at all. You just need to start doing. Well, it's funny because I, I identify with this even in public speaking. Like, I don't yeah. know if you've ever public, you've been like in a public speaking event before and you're thinking about speaking as you're speaking yeah. and it's a total mind cluster. Like mind cluster. I, I was, it. I was just sensing that's myself. So perfect. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, for me, I've, I've actively had to work on not doing that. And I would love to go back and play field hockey and see if I could take some of those tricks that I've learned and apply it to the field. You hockey still dream field. a lot about field hockey. Oh, gosh, I dream about field hockey all the time. It's very strange. I yeah. need to like have a psychoanalyst. Well, I mean, I still dream about football all the time. I think it's just kind of imprints on your brain because it's so foundational. Um, well, point. I take situations that have happened in like modern life and take them back to the field oh, hockey gosh. days. And so it's this interesting like meta approach to dreams. If we ever have kids, you're going to like bring our kids to your field hockey field and your dreams. Um, I'm going to be like, let me, you guys should watch as I'm drunk playing field hockey right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The best role model. Um, but your public speaking example is super fascinating to me because I have that same thing. And what I've always thought is whenever I'm like thinking about public speaking before I public speak, in my brain, I lose the ability to speak. Um, and what you just have to do is start talking and then everything kind of falls into place or it doesn't, but usually it kind of does. I 100% agree with that. Like, I think like when I struggle with it is someone is asking me a question and I'm thinking about formulating my response, yeah. especially on a Zoom call when I'm looking right at them. And I've, I've realized that as long as I just open my mouth and start speaking, like something will come out. And usually it's 
kind of appropriate. The sounds will be vaguely coherent, but definitely more coherent than in my head. Because in my head, it's a bunch of mushy gumbo that makes no sense. Okay, well, last point in this topic is it helps, it really helps me to listen after the fact. So I have had presentations where I walked away and I'm like, this is terrible. I can't believe what just happened. I didn't even say English. And then I go back and watch it. And it's actually not bad. And it's funny because I think in my head, I've like, I just like distort my presentation to the point where I'm like, no one can understand this. It doesn't make any sense. And it's fine. I think self-judgment is almost always overly critical. And it really gets back to the don't think do aspect. My mom gave me the best writing advice I've ever received. I didn't fully understand it until I was a little bit older, but she said, don't think right. And that's so true. Even now, it's like the act of doing unveils like the natural flow. You're always going to be thinking. You can't turn that off unless you're, you know, like a a savant or someone that's truly practiced for 10,000 hours. But what you can do is just keep moving forward. I love that. And holy crap, it applies to running. I think we could take this and apply it to every single situation in life. But if you think about getting out the door for a 20 mile run, like mile 19 feels incredibly daunting as you're going out the door. And it's true. Just puts, you know, keep moving forward and eventually you'll get there. Yeah. That's why I love music so much when I run, because in some ways it makes me not engage with those thoughts as much and then gets me into the activity to where I can fully engage. Like you always say, when you're running, you don't hear the music after probably the start. Like probably you hear it at the start, but then not again. Um, Unless it's country music. And then I'm running and I'm like, this run (laughs) must end now. (laughs) I love it. So last night, a little funny story. Last night we were watching Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, as we described, an amazing show. Um, And we have closed captioning on when we watch a lot of shows. I don't know if that's lame or not. No, it's because I'm terrible at hearing. I have, I've talked about my pediatric nose before in reference to breathe right strips. I have pediatric ears and they don't funnel sound into my ears. And so I like kind of require us to watch TV shows or movies with subtitles. I also, I love it because sometimes we laugh at the jokes before the characters say them because we like see them written on the screen. Um, but in the process, we saw a word that I have seen a lot. And in my head, I said, Yarmaluk. And what the word ended up being when the character said it was Yamaka. So the thing that people wear on their heads. We laughed for a solid five minutes so, about that last well, night. I just also, t- you celebrated Hanukkah. You're half yeah. Jewish. You should know that. <laughs> so my entire life, I've read the word Yarmaluk. Um, and it brings up other words I've done this with. So my entire life, when I was reading the word um, caveat, I read it as kavit. And I had no idea. I mean, it, it vaguely meant what the actual word means, but not exactly. And it wasn't until Megan said it when we were like reading something at one point that I was like, Oh my God, this, what is that all about? Yeah. Well, I love this discussion. Like, I think if this were profiled on a Tinder date, I'd be like, swipe, swipe, <laughs> swipe. This is amazing because I spent most of my like childhood reading and not yeah. watching movies, not interacting socially because I was just <laughs> like, like, like that introvert kid. And so I have so many words like this because it's like, I grew up reading, like if I took the SAT and it was involved with pronunciation, I would have been screwed. <laughs> I love that. But I think for me, the biggest one is, and I say it in my head as ors divorce, which is actually <laughs> odorbs. Did like you know? every time I read it, I'm like, or's divorce. <laughs> like, I'm not an hors d'oeuvres person. Like, I never grew up going to parties with hors d'oeuvres. Yeah. I've never hosted a party with hors d'oeuvres. And it's forever. Did you figure it out via context? Was like, did you know what it meant? Because I did not know what Yarmouk meant in ret- retrospect. I think I did. Because it's like, you know, you receive party invitation. And, and yeah, it's yeah. like, or's divorce can be served at <laughs> six. <laughs> yeah. And I think it really emphasizes the importance of getting out of your own head when you're thinking about things. Because what to make it broader, I'm, I was imagining... What else might I think about this that I haven't actually talked to people about that I've just either read or, or thought about? Um, and thank God, I think it's one of the reasons in like law school, me and my friend Greg, so Greg Osborne, if you're listening, heck yeah, um, we would just sit around and 
you know, talk about legal concepts. And it was just so helpful to get out of my own head. And I feel like that's probably, it's, it's so helpful with coaching with you too. And, and this podcast is like talking about these subjects in, in an open way. So that's probably a good lesson for everything. Well, as I think about it with, with med school, like I studied so many different like medical diseases and processes and textbooks, and you really don't learn it until you go to the word, into yeah. the wards. And I think I apply it for running coaching because my first approach to running coaching was very similar to medical school. It was yeah. like, I'm going to study all of this. Like <laughs> I'm going to find the running textbooks. I'm going to dive into these running research studies. And what was most helpful for me was just coaching athletes, like starting yeah. with my mom, working with my sister, and then coaching a few athletes in swap before building up much more. And I think like, I want to apply that, like, you know, as opposed to just like trying to dive into yeah. the literature all the time, like the, the practical application of it. Like, I just need that more in my life. It probably life. gets back to the don't think, do aspect. Like, you know, <laughs> you can't practice kissing by practicing on an apple. I oh mean, man, we can practice over here. <laughs> yeah. Maybe we should uh, record the podcast later. Um, but yeah, also in exciting news, uh, Justin Mock at I Run Far wrote an article about us, which is relevant because in the article, he had probably one of the best throwaway lines I've ever heard, which was, neither has an answer when asked who cooks or who cleans. Well, all I wanted to do is just reference the song. Uh, WAP. WAP. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah exactly. Um, I don't cook. I don't clean. But let me tell you how I got this right. <laughs> that is like the, the mantra of my life. And I'm like, what happens when it's applied to both of us? Yeah, yeah. Like, what does that mean about our family? What does that mean about like our existence, our organization? Yeah, how did we both get this ring? We'll leave that up to the listeners to decide. Um, but it was really relevant because we moved out of California officially for good. Um, it was a great trip, but also <laughs> we weren't necessarily the most organized human in the world. So it was a whirlwind week and we're back in Colorado now, thankfully, um, after a number of really exciting experiences. Like we went to our local park and saw that there was a big mountain lion research study going Which on. Which I could say, so I spent an entire 10 mile run and thinking about the logistics of a mountain lion research study. I'm like, are they consenting the mountain lions? Are they giving the mountain lions Amazon gift cards? Are they, you know, what happens like exclusion criteria? What happens if a mountain lion eats a child? This is is how the you... mountain lion excluded from the study? And my researcher brain just could not get turned off by the fact that there was a mountain lion research study like actively going on in the place I was running. Somewhere out there, there's a mountain lion PhD. I'm actually imagining the mountain lion is conducting the research study with its little like pocket protector and stuff. Well, I was like, is there a mountain lion IRB? <laughs> like, is there an institutional review board for mountain lions? So now a bunch of mountain lions are sitting behind a desk and, and voting on the ethics of the study. Um, but yeah, so like I always judge my hydration going into a run by whether like I have to pee a few miles in. Usually that's a good sign. So I'm doing a run through there. I'm, I get about a few miles in and I, I go get ready to pee. And I'm doing a little dance. Tones and eyes never something about the rain was going on. So I was like really excited. So I get out, I go to pee, I start peeing. And then right in front of me is a wildlife camera activated by motion. So it's just some, some researcher somewhere had to uh, get a good look at me while I was peeing. Well, it's funny because I saw the mountain lion research sign and my first thought process was, I wonder if they've seen me peeing. And, oh, it's funny, and then you came yeah. home and told me the exact same thing. I'm like, wow, we great minds think alike. <laughs> they definitely have. Um, and then also, in California, just a you know, Addie got to see all of her friends, maybe for the last time, but hopefully not. And it was just such a one of those coolest moments where she squealed for hours and gives me a good reminder of the type of person that I really want to be. It's like when your loved one comes in the door, or even like you know, when anyone when you see them, make them feel as loved as Addie made everyone feel loved in California. I think it's a good lesson. And what I love about Addie too is she does that squeal for people she hasn't seen for years. Yeah. So she has this like this part in her brain that just encodes humans that she loves, and I think that's so cool. But it also makes me think about the power of connections and like yeah. the power of revisiting connections. Like even if it's someone that you're never going to see for a couple of years, like that's still a really powerful thing. Like yeah. you know, the, the, the brain is probably encoding that in a cool way. And maybe it's the don't think do 
uh, aspect of it when it comes to expressing these emotions. Don't think of like, oh, I should play it cool or they might not appreciate this or whatever. It's like, no, fuck yeah, let's say hi, yeah, woo. Like that mindset makes people feel loved, you know? And in that builds more connection. So- Well, it's funny, Addy is sitting in the podcast room right now. And as you did that little like- let's say hi yeah, yeah woo her tail just started wagging aggressively <laughs> against the ground actually you might even be able to hear it on the microphone when it happened but uh addy agreed with the speech that you just gave awesome you want to get into the topic let's do it awesome so what we're going to discuss today is the co primarily the covid vaccine we might discuss a little bit about recovery from covid if we get there um but what we wanted to do is destigmatize the vaccine let you know why it's safe how it works and what you need to think about as an athlete as you're considering this. Like we have some athletes that we coach that are frontline workers that are starting to get it, I believe, tomorrow. Mm -hmm. So we're gonna, you know, see it on the ground. And because of that, we really wanted to know what goes into it. So yeah, do you want to jump in? Yeah. Also, holy crap, science is cool. Yeah. The fact that we developed this vaccine in the amount of time that we developed it is absolutely amazing. Like we were talking about like what it compares to in terms of like other scientific processes or discoveries, and it's pretty darn. Yeah, incredible. this is the Manhattan Project but times something like um, I was reading about the the story of how this happened. And within a few days of the virus appearing in China, the genome was publicly available via Chinese researchers online. Um, within a few days of that, people were already working on how to potentially attack this with the vaccine. Um, and at every step of the way, there was almost no friction in terms of getting to the next point. That's how we beat all of the estimates. And it's just a massive tribute to science and to human ingenuity and to the power of global society, since these are all, you know, public-private partnerships across international borders. And I think we're going to look back on this in a hundred years and say, oh my God, what a moment. Or we might say this is when the zombie apocalypse happened, though I doubt it as we're going to get into with how this vaccine we works. We spend a lot of our runs theorizing zombie apocalypse, <laughs> yeah, yeah. if you can't tell. But I think for me, it's I, I really was fascinated by the immunology and microbiology underlying the vaccine. And so before we go through like the implications for athletes surrounding the vaccine and some of like the studies related to the Pfizer vaccine, we're going to just dive into the immunology and microbiology briefly because I think it's super cool. But it's also helpful when thinking about contextualizing the vaccine in oh, the context yeah. of in, in athletic life. And for me, you know, you're you're a doctor and a PhD in epidemiology, though you're not a specialist in this specific field. So I was just going to give the aspect that, you know, as I go into this immunology and microbiology, it's pretty complicated immunology and microbiology. And though I have an MD and though I'm like studying epidemiology, if I mess up, please <laughs> feel free to, to email us. We've, we've done extensive research on this and we hope the general gist, and I'm pretty confident the general gist is correct, but it's very possible we may mess up a small semantic detail in the process. Yeah. And, you know, but what I learned about this, for example, and really I'm ready to get the vaccine as soon as I can now, you know, like I do trust everything, but the part of you is always like, well, there maybe there's something to these people that say it, you know, does something weird. And then you read about it, you really learn about it and you realize, oh wait, this is actually totally fine. And we're going to get into why that is. So, so let's dive into the, yeah. the Pfizer mRNA vaccine. So taking a step back and just even understanding what mRNA is. So essentially on a very basic level, mRNA contains messages from making proteins. And so the COVID vaccine contains mRNA responsible for the spike protein, which is found on the surface of the COVID-19 virus. And I love looking at pictures of the COVID-19 virus online. So if you get a chance, go into Google, type in COVID-19 virus, um, look at the spike protein. Um, and it's, it's essentially this like dotted spikes of red on the yeah. outside of the COVID virus. Um, and it's what allows the 
COVID-19 virus to enter our cells. It kind of looks like a, like if you went to a science fair and set up like a new planet, <laughs> I feel like that would be the COVID-19 virus or it could be like featured at a craft fair. I, I don't know. What's your take like, on it? I think it kind of looks like a dog toy, honestly. Yeah, I think most people have seen a picture of it at this point. And what I think is so fascinating about this, just from a pure layman's point of view, is that the COVID, when you see the picture of the, of the, of the virus, COVID virus, like what's so distinctive about it is these weird spikes, these red things on the edge that are always portrayed. And I love that we attacked it with a vaccine that gets at the spikes. Yeah, they look like it's almost as if someone took a unicorn horn and made it devilish <laughs> and then just cloned it 50 times and yeah. put on the COVID-19 virus. And I think that's very cool. It's so poetic. We attacked it at its weak point. Kind of like an Independence Day when the guy just flies his airplane up through the big weapon. That's kind of what we're doing, going in and blowing this thing up. I love it. But so if you think about, so if you were just to inject the mRNA of um, the spike protein in to the body, um, the body would break it down enzymatically. And so what happens actually is we wrapped this mRNA in lipid nanoparticles, and this prevents the, the body from breaking it down when it enters via the, the vaccine. Um, and David actually has a background in lipid nanoparticles, which I think is, <laughs> it's fun that we're returning to this. Yeah, I hadn't thought about this for many years, but in law school, I was part of a startup that got good funding and all that. It's, it's unfortunately no longer alive. But essentially what the, the principle of this was, was to use DNA tracking mechanisms. So DNA DNA, unlike RNA, is extremely stable um, in most conditions. Um, you know, that's how DNA can persist over generations. RNA, meanwhile, is very prone to breakdown. That's why if you've heard that this, this vaccine needs to be kept at low temperatures. Um, but what we were doing with the tracking was really trying to measure in more extreme environments. Um, so we introduced na limpid nanoparticles at one point to try to make it more stable. Unfortunately, it didn't really work. There's some confidential stories there that are very funny and also a little bit tragic in retrospect. Um, but as a result, like I, I learned a lot about this and essentially they came up with an ingenious way to protect this MNR mnRNA uh, from being, you know what I was meaning, from being broken down as soon as we inject it. Um, and then what happens? And so then what happens is um, when the body, you know, senses that mRNA, it creates proteins and makes antibodies and T cells um, for essentially targeting the COVID-19 virus if it were to enter the body. Um, and this, again, confers that protection against the COVID virus. What's interesting, though, and there is some debate about this and some, some talk about this, is the spike protein itself on that COVID-19 virus is highly prone to mutation. And so in that case, if the spike protein were to mutate, we would require some sort of updated vaccine, kind of similar for what we do for different flu strains. The interesting thing is, is that there's a lot of different proteins yeah. on the COVID-19 virus particle. So there's proteins um, both on the outside and then also proteins inside. There, I saw a, a really interesting approach talking about adding an N protein. Mm. Um, and so the N protein is actually found inside the COVID-19 virus particle. Um, and so it's not involved in um, the process of the COVID-19 um, particle entering the cells in the body, but it could offer future protection if it were to be included in a vaccine. So it would be like a, a spike protein and yeah. an N protein um, vaccine. And so again, that's just, you know, this is kind of like all things that are still happening and still developing, but it just goes to show the fact that scientists have thought about a lot of these different processes um, and are doing extensive research into areas that we're not even privy to at the moment, yeah. um, looking at all of these different ways in which we can confer future protection from like mutations or other events that would and happen. And another really vaccine. interesting thing from a layman's point of view in that is that there are so many proteins that are, are involved in, in, in COVID. I've read different numbers based on the epidemiology studies I've seen. But in other words, these are just singular proteins that are involved. So you're not, this isn't COVID. Like this is something that is part of it 
that um, confers you immune response to it, but it is not at all dangerous from in the same way that COVID is. And like, you know, when you're talking to people about it, be like, this has none of the component parts that make COVID dangerous. Yeah, like, I that love is the key. that point. And that's actually very different. So mRNA vaccines have not been approved or have not been used previously in the US. This is like the first mRNA yeah. vaccine that's being used in the US. And I think it's super cool. It's something that scientists have worked on mRNA vaccines for decades. They've used mRNA approaches um, in cancer and in terms of like causing immune responses to cancer. Um, but the traditional vaccine approach is actually very different. So the traditional vaccine approach uses either live attenuated mm -hmm. vaccines or inactivated vaccines. So in live attenuated vaccines, what you're doing is you're injecting weakened forms of a germ um, and that causes an immune response. So vaccines that are like this are chickenpox, MMR, rotavirus. The difficulty with that is if you have patients who are immune compromised, um, that live attenuated vaccine can be dangerous for them, but yeah. it does convert this long lasting response because you're actually injecting like a weakened form of that germ. Yeah. And I think, you know, when you think about intuitively why people respond so negatively sometimes to vaccines, like not respond like negatively intellectually, like they're like, I don't trust vaccines. I think part of it is if you're not in this field saying, I'm going to inject you with small parts of this virus or like whatever, sounds scary, even though it's not you know, even though it's safe, um, that sounds scary. And so like, this isn't even using that, like this is using the most basic physiological process that is happening constantly in our bodies and just using it in a very slightly adjusted way, but something that our bodies are fully equipped to handle. And really like, as we're going to see later, handle well. And the big reason, and you hit on this before about the difference between DNA and um, mRNA and RNA is, is that RNA is pretty unstable. And that's yeah. why it hasn't been used before. It's not like this is something that is extremely dangerous. Just touching real quick on the other type of vaccine, which is an inactivated vaccine. So inactivated vaccines use actually a killed version of the mm. germ to cause an immune response, but those often aren't as long lasting immune responses and require boosters. So examples of that are like a flu shot or a hep A. Those are inactivated vaccines. So this mRNA vaccine approach is totally new in the yeah. US. I think it's I think it's really cool that we're using this technology, but I'm excited because it makes intuitive sense and the science behind it is fascinating. It's so cool that this happens so fast. Like I am blown away the more I read about this and hear from you. It's it's just like, what a moment in human history. And the fact that this is getting rolled out now, it's so exciting. So do you want to get to the trial data? Sure. Yeah. I think the other thing that happened fast is the clinical trial. Like yeah. the clinical trial for a vaccine has never happened this fast. Usually vaccines are produced on the order of years, not months. And the fact that they were, Pfizer and other companies were able to pull this off is just, it's extremely- Well, important. and also, you know, governments around the world, like, you know, it shows that a lot of what we complain about with bureaucracy, it's like, so when it needs to, it can get shit done. Yeah. And it did get shit done. So the Pfizer vaccine right now, currently where we stand, I'm looking at my watch right now, it's December 15th. Because yeah. someone could go back and listen to this in February and the zombie apocalypse could have happened. <laughs> but on December 15th- <laughs> To our zombie listeners, heck yeah, roar, whatever yeah, yeah, zombies yeah. say. <laughs> to our December 15th listeners, um, so right now where we stand with the trial is there's um, been 43, around 43,000 participants who have participated in the Pfizer trial. Um, half of those received the vaccine, half of those got a placebo. The way the vaccine was structured was participants received the vaccine in two doses, um, and those doses were separated by 21 days. And they tried other approaches in pre in the phase one. Um, Moderna tried other approaches too, and both kind of you know settled on the same mechanism in the same dosage, which also gives us, I think, more confidence that this really is um, the right way to go. And so the effectiveness was strong. So 95% effectiveness um, following the second dose, and then there was a 52% effectiveness between the first dose and the second dose. Um, what I like about the effectiveness is the confidence interval is yeah. pretty small. So it's between 90% and 97%. And that reflects the 95% confidence interval that what we're seeing is- correct. So that even when you get bigger numbers than the 43,000, when you give this to 
20 million people, you'll, st- you know, they have good confidence that you'll still see good effectiveness. Numbers. Well, I think, that, I think, yes, I agree with that. I think one interesting point about this is where that effectiveness is coming from is the fact that in the vaccine group, um, so that would be around like 21,000 different participants, eight participants in the vaccine group contracted COVID-19 compared to 162 in the placebo or the control group. And so I think like what's important though, is those are not big numbers, like yeah. 162 and nine are not big numbers to be comparing. And so it's possible that effectiveness may, may change, but again, we're starting at this 95% with pretty tight confidence intervals. And so that's exciting for me to see. Yeah. And Moderna's information or Moderna's data pretty much mirrored it. Um, And I thought what was really relevant is that there was um, in the Pfizer study, there were 10 cases of severe COVID-19, just one was among the vaccine group. And then in the Moderna study, zero were among the vaccine group. So this seems to really prevent the worst in, in implications of COVID-19. Um, and that's extremely uh, beneficial. And I think where it gets to next that might be really relevant for athletes, and this is what I really wanted to see and get into. Um, do you want to say the word? Sure. So this is a fun word. We can go back to, and yeah, yeah. this is one, like we can go back to our pronunciation thing, but reactogenicity is a super cool part of this. Um, and so reactogenicity is essentially the subset of reactions that occur soon after you receive a vac- vaccination. And that's the physical man- manifestations of the inflammatory response that you're mounting to the vaccine in order to produce these antibodies and T-cells. And so even though you're receiving these like reactions, it's actually the body doing its yeah. job because it's creating these antibodies, it's creating these T-cells. But I think this is where people are scared. It's like, oh, we're doing this novel thing. What happens next? And in reading the studies very closely, I was so excited by this information. Like this exceeded my, it exceeded what I had read in, in a positive way. I thought it was really great. Um, and so the first thing that I'll just, we, it's not even on our outline, is you do get a little sore where they injected in your shoulder. Um, that makes sense if you've ever had a shot. So uh, we don't have to necessarily go over that. Nothing severe. The one person, one of the severe, one of the four severe responses was someone that complained of a shoulder injury. So that might be relevant. I think the the more pressing point yeah. is probably the fatigue, headache, and fever that were experienced in some participants. Interestingly, these were occurred, these uh, these reactions occurred more commonly in younger participants. Yeah. And the theory there is that they're re, re, um, they're mounting a stronger immune response to the vaccine, which is why they're experiencing these side effects at a, at a higher rate. Which is super fascinating to me because I had read a lot about the Spanish flu back in 1918, which if you've read about it, preferentially attacked younger people, which is totally different than COVID-19. Um, and that's because it caused, you know, these cytokine storms that really attack people with strong immune systems. Um, and so this is totally unrelated, but also like a fascinating moment in physiology where we're like, we're using our immune responses um, positively, but it also causes a little bit of fatigue and headache and, and things like that. So diving into the numbers is interesting. So 50% of the younger participants received fatigue and reported fatigue and headache after receiving the second dose of the vaccine compared to 23% of those with the placebo. So again, you're seeing that differentiation between 50% and 23%, but I love the yeah. fact that 23 23- percent of people reported fatigue and headache after who, who were in the placebo group. That would be me. <laughs> I was going to say, if that were, if I got the placebo vaccine yesterday, I'd be like hundred percent fatigue and headache. Yeah. Yeah. This vaccine is dangerous and not, cons- not for human use because I have a vaccine for my, uh, or my uh, headache for my sugar pill. So looking at fever, so 16% of younger participants after the second dose reported a fever and 11% of older participants reported a fever. Um, so that's actually a pretty substantial amount, but again, it's like, these are not 
they're not experiencing severe fever. These are not severe symptoms. And they were tra- it was transient symptoms. I mean, what the study said is that most of this resolved in one or two days, which makes sense if you've experienced vaccines in the past. The other things that they looked at were severe fatigue. So 4% of those that received the vaccine reported severe fatigue. I actually need to look at their definition between yeah. fatigue and s- severe fatigue. I think for me, that's the difference between a Monday and a Friday, but <laughs> I, I would love to know how they clarify that. And then the other thing that they reported was lymphadenopathy, which is essentially swollen or enlarged lymph nodes. And um, a very small number, so 64 in the vaccine, um, in the like actual vaccine group, reported lymphadenopathy compared to six in the placebo group. Um, so, and most of these symptoms, again, as you mentioned, resolved. Um, they were transient. They resolved. They resolved pretty quickly. Yeah, and I thought what was so cool is there were really no severe impacts that were hugely worrisome. Um, you know, they they specifically enumerated for them one of which was a shoulder injury of like more things that could potentially be connected to the vaccine, but not, one of them was right leg tingling. Um, in other words, there was not none of these worst case scenarios that you might be hearing about. It was basically one or two days of fatigue for most people. A couple people a little bit longer. A few people had ten day or so lymph nodes. Um, uh, inflammation, but there wasn't really the bad stuff you would expect. I mean, from something that's so, so effective. And then I think with that in mind, we've gotten a lot of questions related to the logistics of it, related to racing, related to athletic performance. And I think actually we can spend the next couple of minutes, we can go beyond 30 minutes because this is such an important topic to us kind of going through those. So I think for me, the big question that I have is the differentiation between immune protection and transmissibility. And so right now there's some unknowns surrounding the fact. So like if you get the vaccine, you're receiving immune protection for yourself. But what happens if you get the COVID virus, you would be likely asymptomatic, but you could also be shedding the virus and transmitting it at that point. And that's, that is something that is um, a question and something that we'll hope that, you know, researchers will hopefully establish and figure out sooner. But I think because of that, it's really important that if you do get the COVID vaccine, that you continue being cautious, that you're wearing a mask, that you're social distancing until we figure more, more of this out. And until we have more of an idea. That's fascinating. And it gets to some of the problems with long-term impacts too, on all this is that, um, you know, when we're thinking about th- th- these studies stopped at 14 weeks after the second dose because that's when they got published. Um, but you know, we're thinking about okay, what happens six months and a year from now? Um, we'll be finding that out a little bit, but not in a super scientifically rigorous way because this it was so effective that they have to give the placebo group ethically the vaccine. It's like the ultimate catch 22 of a great vaccine is that, oh, wait, you lose your control group because they got to get it too. So we're at that point right now where, you know, we're kind of waiting for this to unfold more study, more data is coming in um, and and whether that goes to transmissibility um, or, you know, potential other like uh, side effects. We're going to learn more soon. I think the other thing too is thinking about stewardship with a vaccine. And so like, we really want our frontline workers to get it. We really want our high risk patients to get it first. And so making sure like they are the ones getting it. But I think what's going to be interesting is the fact that some households may not be getting it at the same time. So like, for example, I already consented with Stanford to get a vaccine eventually. I mean, who knows, it'll probably be in February or March, but like that will probably be way before you get the vaccine just because of my involvement with Stanford. And so I then have to be careful about my transmissibility because I could be an asymptomatic um, shedder, you know, if that is actually what's happening. And so it's interesting to think about family dynamics during this time. So if you become a zombie before me, do you- You would still love me, right? I would I would love you so much. Good. And you know, honestly, 
you can bite me any day you want. My brain, <laughs> my brains are your brains. <laughs> the other question that I've got from athletes is, should I get the vaccine if I've had COVID naturally? And again, there's a lot of debate about there. What I've seen is, is that the, the general answer is yes, because the thought is, is that getting the vaccine, if you've already had COVID infection naturally, will provide you with longer lasting antibodies. Uh, but the theory is, is that you should probably be some of the last in line yeah. because you actually have some antibodies compared to people like working on the front line or people who may not have any antibodies. Um, and so that's kind of where I've seen that going. The other other questions that we've gotten have been um, from athletes. We, I mean, as we mentioned before, we do have some athletes who are working in healthcare right now who are getting them yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. And Stanford uh, even gave you guidelines when they were talking about the vaccine distribution to your the employees, right? Yeah, Stanford has. I mean, at this point, they've developed like 50 pages, page, yeah. 50 pages of guidelines for their employees. And they are encouraging like a recovery period after receiving the vaccines. They're saying like, you know, you, you don't have to come into work the next day after receiving your vaccine. Like it's, you may likely be tired. And I think it's interesting for athletes thinking about planning racing, thinking about planning training, especially given that there's two doses of a yeah. vaccine. Um, and again, it seems like uh, people are mounting this stronger physical response to the second dose. My personal recommendation, what I've been telling athletes is to avoid racing in the week after getting the vaccine, just yeah. because your body's probably going to be run down. It may not feel great. Um, and then also heading into the, the uh, you know, getting your vaccine, feeling pretty good. Like I want to do yeah. a 20 mile or the day before getting the vaccine, just so that your body is immunologically prepared to mount this response. Um, and like you're, you know, you're as strong as possible. Yeah. And most of the side effects seem to take a day or two for most people. So, you know, really block that day or two window out where, you know, what we're saying, what I'm saying to like my more advanced athletes that are getting it immediately is, you know, let's do easy, let's rest the first day, then easy run the next day, then reevaluate from there, sticking with easy for a few days. Um, and I think based on all of the physiological pathways that are being looked at, there are no theories for how this could affect athletics poorly long-term. Like this should just be you know, a normal transient response that you would have to any immune response with no long-term impacts to VO2 max, to the lactate threshold, to performance, to muscle strength, to any of that, um, which is really great because you get all the benefits of getting protected from COVID-19, which we know is terrible for performance without the, the detriment of like a risk. Like there really is almost no risk. To this. And that's why I think it was helpful to review the microbiology specifically of the mRNA yeah. vaccine on this podcast, because like intuitively, if you think about it, like that mRNA should not impact any of those things. Yeah. If it did, we would have like a pretty poor understanding of like athletic physiology. Yeah, and our bodies would be that. on a razor's edge all the time because we're doing those, you know, taking in those RNA messages all the time for, for different pathways. And, you know, we just, I can't think of a, anything, any way that would be, maybe someone could think of something that negative that could happen, but I really don't see it. I mean, um, and, and there's nothing out there online of theories of how that would work. Um, I don't know though. So I wouldn't say nothing because yeah. online is a scary yeah, thing. This, is a good this point. actually leads us to a very important discussion is that if you Google the COVID vaccine right now, I am sure you can find a host of topics supporting anything. I saw one recently linking it to infertility, which is not true, um, likely not true. And there's just like all different kinds of, of internet spams out there. So just be careful what you're yeah, and we're going to learn a lot more over the coming weeks and months as people get this. But right now, this is the most hopeful time. Like, this is a miraculous time in human history. Um, so much went into this vaccine, so much that seemed absolutely unthinkable back when you saw Fauci talking in March. Um, and not only was this the best case scenario at every step of the way, um, it looks to be the best case scenario after administration of the vaccine, too. Um, and so reading this, like, I, you know, going in, I was a little bit like, 
oh, well, this, you know, I, I'm probably not going to get COVID. I'm not too worried about it. Now, as soon as I'm, I'm in line, as soon as it's my turn, I'm going to be stepping up and getting that vaccine, like with the biggest smile on my face without a worry. And I think last point, last closing point on yeah. this topic of hope is the concept of racing um, and what that's going to look like in 2021. And I think like, I think it is possible that races are really going to start picking up more consistently. I do think though, I think races should have mask, like mask policy in place for a long time. And I think we're going to see like masks being a key thing going forward, even as we roll out this vaccine substantially. Yeah, I think there'll be a lot more smiles under those masks. That's though. true. That's very, very Knowing true. Knowing that, you know, COVID sucks. Like we've had athletes that have it. We've read the studies on myocarditis and things like that. You want to be really careful with COVID. Like we're talking, when we're talking about recovery from COVID, we're saying treat it like a stress fracture, really slow returns, pay attention to your body, try to avoid like long tail COVID issues that can really strike. When we're talking about the vaccine, we're talking about Hey, go get your vaccine, and then you'll be like, should be back and ready to go in a couple of days. Um, and not only that, you're you're preventing those major issues in the future, and you're doing a broader societal good by bringing you know the the vaccination rates up, and then that'll open up society. And all in all, 2021 is set up to be the best year ever, and a big reason is because of all this amazing work that went into the vaccine. You guys are so awesome. Thank you for listening to our MRNA, our zombie apocalypse, our vaccine talk. We just really appreciate it. And we'll it. love you guys, even if we're all zombies. And if you can, please rate, subscribe, whatever. I don't know the appropriate terminology <laughs> to tell you, but whatever you can do, thank you. Vaccinate against unhappiness and listen to our podcast. Yes. All right, we love you guys. Woohoo!